Good morning, church. You know, I was telling the early service that I, I was preaching over at uh, Victory Church on the Rock, and, uh, and I was asking them how they were all doing. I just said, how are you all doing? And 500 people stood up and says, I'm blessed, I'm anointed, I'm speaking the word of God, and I'm walking in victory. And I'm like, okay, well, all righty then, you're good then, I guess, eh? <laughs> yeah, so how are you all doing? <laughs> oh, Hallelujah. Let's pray together, shall we? Eternal Father, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can see great and unsearchable things from your holy word, things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, so that we would know the things that you have given us as your church, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. If you're here and you have, you have your Bibles here, would you like to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1? Psalm chapter 1. I just want to re, uh, read, read that psalm to you. It's a short psalm, good, powerful psalm. One of my favorite psalms. One of the first psalms I, men, I men, memorized. Just to get us kind of thinking and get our hearts tuned up to the message that uh, we sense the Lord is giving us today. <clears throat> psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We are currently working our way through a series of four messages on four key and statements relating to corporate church life that we sense will enable us to move more intentionally towards our church vision of making Jesus known. And as Pastor Rod mentioned last week, these these and what he's calling the, what we're calling these end statements. If you can picture them like on a golf course, you put the flag. The flag is in the pole, and you're teeing off, and you can see the flag. You can't see the, you know, the whole exact, but you can see the flag, and so you're going to move in that direction. And so these end statements are really the flag. It's the, it's the, it's the, the hole, right? That's where we're headed. And so some of these end statements are, you, you know, some of you have been around for a while. You, you, you know, you've teed off. You're, you're on the green already. You're putting, you're putting for home. But some of you are just starting in the Christian life. Some of you who are, um, you know, just... Uh, fairly fresh in, in the faith, then uh, you, you are, uh, ju- you know, just about to tee off. And so these four end statements that we, that we want to present to you over the next uh, couple weeks, Wes started on the end statement on about corporate life and about the, 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 the need to connect with one another, that we're going to be a connecting church, that we connect with one another and with, with Jesus um, in, in, in cell groups and small groups. And he did an excellent job with that end statement. So we're heading and we want to head in that direction. And I've been given the, uh, 
<clears throat> asking, I've been asked to, to speak on this end statement, and I'll read it to you, and then uh, we'll start from there. So, GPAC people are firmly grounded in biblical truth so that they are able to confidently face the many challenges to truth today. Let me read that again. GPAC people are firmly grounded in biblical truth so that they are able to confidently face the many challenges of truth today. So that's where we want to be headed. We want to be a people of the book. We want to become a people of the book. And the reason why we want to become a people of the book is so that we can confidently face the challenges that are coming at us. We are living in unprecedented, uh, un- unprecedented times right now, aren't, are we not? Now, not since the, the first 200 years of church history has the church of our Lord Jesus Christ been so pervasively challenged with, with paganism and pagan ideologies as it has been in the last 10 or, 10 or 15 years. There is currently a neo-paganism that is gaining popularity and is sweeping across the modern uh, world faster than any ideology <clears throat> that has threatened the church in the last 2,000 years. You know, about th- I would say about 30 years to 50 years ago, the threat to the church was, was humanism, was uh, hu- secular humanism. But I believe that the current threat that's absolutely exploding on the scene to the church is neo-paganism. Now, what, what does that look like? What, <clears throat> what do I mean by that? So what does neo-paganism look like? Well, neo-paganism looks like the cancel culture. And, and I, I, you know, you read on Facebook, you, you know what the cancel culture is all about. I'm not going to go into that. But neo-paganism looks like, looks like wokeism. It looks like, uh, it looks like uh, you know, gender confusion and gender dysphoria. It looks like moral relativism. It looks like <clears throat> the return to nature worship as the prevailing belief in, behind global environmentalism. Christians ought to be the best environmentalists out there, but not because we worship nature, not because we fear nature, but because we worship God, the God of nature. And, and the book of Revelation says that God is going to destroy those who destroy the earth. So we want to keep the world clean. We want to look after this world. We want to be environmentalists, for the sake of the creator, because we fear the creator, because we honor the creator. Not, by, not because of, you know, this nature worship that's, that, that is behind the environment, the global environmentalism today. But that's, 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 a, that's this paganism that's moving in on the church. It's moving across our world. The, the, the prevailing ideology that there is no such thing as absolute truth is paganism. Truth is whatever you want it to be. Uh, there's your truth, and there's my truth, and even though your truth completely contradicts my truth, it's all truth, you see? So, you know, and that's, that's just a new face on the ancient paganism. Ancient paganism says, you have your God, and I have my gods, and, you know, that's all good. We, you know, as long as you have a God, right? Well, that's, that's, what, that's what this is. This is paganism, friends. This is modern paganism. It's neo-paganism that says that, that, there, <clears throat> that there are no objective standards for truth. All of these are, are manifestations of neo-paganism. So just as the ancient paganism taught that you could manipulate the spiritual world by things you do or say or don't do or don't, or don't say and so on, so, so in the last 30 years, there's, there's arisen a new Christianized, neo-paganism that teaches that that if you just apply the right spiritual formulas 
you can secure the favor of God. That if you just repeat the right incantations and prayers, uh, you, can, you can affect the deliverance of God. That if you just offer the, the right sacrifices, you can secure the provision of God and the prosperity of God. That if you just take the right steps and jump through the right hoops, you can secure the blessings and favor of God and avoid uh, bad spiritual karma, you know, in a Christian sort of way, of course. And, the, and they put the term on it, well, God's going to bless you if you do this, but he's not going to bless you. He's going to curse you if you do that. See, that, that, that's, friends, that's, that's, that's uh, neo-paganism that, that has come in, uh, in upon us. And just as, uh, so the, the new paganized Christianity is this, is, is, is apply these spiritual principles and you'll live your best life now. Take these steps, follow the spiritual prescription, apply this formula, speak these incantational prayers and you will secure the promises and the blessing of God. And all of these nascent ideologies, you know, wokeism, cancel culture, all this, you know, relativism, uh, all of these things, friends, th- this, is, this, is, uh, this is ancient paganism that is just coming to us with a new face, with, with new terminology. But it's nothing new under the sun, you see. The Bible says, the, the, uh, the, the Solomon said, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun, and that's so true. There's nothing new about this. This isn't new. This is old. What's to come has already been. What, what has already been, what, what's, what has already been is, is now, you see. And so, but what can we do about it? So how can we stand strong against this multifaceted challenge to the truth? What hope does God offer us to stand victoriously against this river of pagan and neo-pagan lies and deceit? And the Lord says, when, when, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I will raise up a standard against them. And what is the standard that the Lord is raising up against this onslaught, this challenge to objective truth, to objective reality? It's right here, friends. It's this book. You know, the Bible plus nothing is the power of God to stand against lies. The Bible plus nothing is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who is willing to believe it. And uh, so GPAC people will be able to stand victoriously against the many challenges to truth today when we are equipped to rightly divide and believe the whole counsel of God, which is fully contained in the 66 inspired books of the Bible. Everything is changing in this hour, but the word of our Lord stands forever. It never changes, friends. And you can bank on this book in this hour when everything is changing around us so fast we we can't get a grip on it. Stand on the word of God and you will be standing on firm ground, friends. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The psalmist said in Psalm 138 too, you, O Lord, have exalted above all things your name and your word. Just think about that. That's an astounding confession that the Almighty is making. He's saying, I have exalted above all things my name and my word. Above all things. What what attitude should we have toward the, the word of God when God exalts it like that? You see? So if you've been in church any length of time, 
at all. You know that I'm not saying anything new here uh, or anything you haven't heard or a thousand times before. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Learn how to rightly interpret the Bible. That alone will equip you to stand confidently against any challenge to to the truth. But here's the problem. Now listen to this. Why is it that while no exhortation is heard more often in evangelical churches that you should read and know your Bible, why is it that so few of us actually give ourselves to to reading through the Bible? Why is it that most of us uh, read no more than a few verses a week from our Bibles? Why do most of us read no more than a few verses? Why, Why is learning and believing the Bible content and Bible truth rapidly losing the central place in modern evangelical worship and practice. That central place that it historically held in evangelicalism. Why is the Bible losing that place? Why is the Bible not taking the central place in our, in our worship and practice? 30 years ago, not 30 years ago, and I remember it well, our Sunday schools were filled with every age group studying nothing but Bible content. 30 years ago, our Bible schools and Bible seminaries were filled to capacity with young people seeking to know the Bible better. And I think you'll have to agree with me that the Bible has lost the central place it once had in modern evangelical worship and practice. And the results are devastating. We have a generation of biblically illiterate churches whose knowledge of the Bible consists of a series of religious buzz phrases and Christian catchphrases and who are ill-equipped to confidently face the challenges that we're facing in the church today. See, so in the remaining time we have, I just want to share with you the main reason I believe that preaching, teaching, study, and application of the Bible content is rapidly losing its historically central place in evangelical work and practice. So here it is in a nutshell. Listen carefully. The Bible loses its central place in worship and practice when people no longer believe in the inherent power of the Bible. Let me read that again. The Bible loses its central place in worship and practice when people no longer believe in the inherent power of the Bible. You see, the reason why we only read a few verses a week week, is because we don't believe The power that's in this word. We don't see it. We don't recognize it. But God has invested his power in his word. And I want to point that out today. So Paul says in the first chapter of the book of Romans, he says, the the gospel is the power of God to save everyone. The power of the gospel to save is on the message, friends. It's on the word of God. It's not on the messenger. But there has a radical paradigm shift that's taken place in the church in the last 40 years that has marginalized systematic preaching and teaching of the Bible content. And hardly anyone has noticed. And if they have, it's like the proverbial elephant in the room that few are pointing out. And this radical shift in belief that I'm talking about is that just 30 years ago, now listen to this, just 30 years ago, most evangelicals believed the power of God rested on the message of God, on the word of God. But now most believe the power of God rests on the messengers 
of God. And you see that shift? So for almost 500 years, the covenant people of God, the church, viewed the Bible itself as the most powerful divine means of saving, delivering, healing, sanctifying, and transforming people and cultures. But it's only been in the last 30 years that this radical shift in belief has taken place. Now the pervasive belief is that the power of God rests upon the speaker, the minister, the gifted person, the messenger. And so the pursuit of spiritual, personal spiritual empowerment through divine encounters and mystical experiences has replaced the study and preaching of the word of the Bible. The Bible itself is no longer believed to be the power of God for the complete salvation of everyone who believes. You, you can, you know, we've shifted our faith from the inherent power in the Bible and in the Word of God and the inherent authority of the Bible and the authority of the Word of God to the power in the messenger and the authority in the messenger. And I believe that this has put a tremendous burden on the leadership and the preaching uh, pastors in our day because people are looking to the pastor to be the anointed one, to be the savior, to be the powerful one, to be the one who's going to lead us all out. But that wasn't always the way it was, friends. Not 50 years ago, the people of God looked to the word of God to save them, to help them. And then, so they, they, they basically hired a preacher, not on the basis of the preacher's anointing or giftedness or, or power, but on the basis of the, the preacher's willingness to speak this word and to teach this word. That's how it got men hired and fired. And there's a tremendous load that's put on pastors these days. You, you see pastors, they're falling like flies, and it's because there's too much pressure put on them. And this is an enormous belief structure that's behind it, that it's the, it's the, the, the powers should rest upon the messenger. You see that? That was free. I didn't have that in my notes. <clears throat> so to Jesus and the apostles and church fathers and reformers, it was the word of God itself that contained the power to save, to deliver, to heal, and to sanctify, not the anointing that rested upon the preacher. You see, it's true that the, the, the Lord desires that the preacher, the messengers, you and I, be filled with the Spirit, but not so that we can be empowered to save anybody or heal anybody or deliver anybody, so that we can speak the Word of God with boldness. This is what we see in the Scripture. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and what did they do? It says they spoke the Word of God with boldness, because the, the power is on the Word of God. It's not on us, friends not on you and I. And so, 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 so the, 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 Paul said the, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He didn't say the gospel messenger is the power of God. He didn't say it's a spiritual experience is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. He said to the Corinthian church, he said, my message and my preaching is what came with a demonstration of the Spirit and power. He didn't say, I came. The power wasn't on Paul. He said it was on my message and my preaching. That's where the demonstration of power was, he says. And the reason why he says that is so that you don't put your hope in anything that I do or anything that I am, that you put your faith in God. See? 
And so the focus was always the Word of God. To Jesus and the apostles and the reformers, it was the Word of God itself that contains the power to save. Paul would scoff at the modern paganized view that the power to save somehow rested upon him or his personal spiritual empowerment or upon his anointing. Paul said that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. You see? There was no such thing even 50 years ago, you wouldn't hear this in the church. Oh, that's, a, that's dead doctrine. Oh, that's a dead truth. No, the apostles said, the word of God is living. They never said it was dead. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to penetrate even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and, and motivations of the heart. See, they put all of their hope in the Word of God, you see. God says, this is the one I esteem, the one who is humble and contrite and who trembles at my Word. That's who God esteems. So why do you suppose, then, that leaders of regimes like China and North Korea and these other totalitarian uh, governments, why do you suppose that they let in every other religious book and every other religious practice, but they absolutely ban even portions or verses of the Bible. Why do you think they do that? Well, I'll tell you why they do that. Because they believe in the inherent power of this book. Pagans, pagan leaders have more faith in the power of the Bible to transform lives, to change lives, to crush their kingdoms. That's why they're terrified of the Bible. Isn't that, isn't that sad? That the pagan leaders of the nations, the pagan nations, have more confidence in the power of the Bible than God's covenant people do in this hour. One of the last great preacher, uh, uh, the last things that, that uh, great preacher of holiness, the late R.C. Sproul, said before he died, he preached thousands tens of thousands of messages. And this was one of his final messages that he gave because he knew his time was short and the Lord was taking him home. Listen to what he says. He said, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Let me read that again. The greatest weakness in the church today is that no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power, he says, in an experience, in a program, in a technique, in a formula, in anything and everything, he says, except where God has placed it, his word. King David said, you, O Lord, have exalted above all things your name and your word. Jesus never gave a teaching or a prophecy without quoting and confirming the scriptures. And after his resurrection, he appeared to those two men on the road to Emmaus, and you know the story. And I, when the first time I read that, and he, he wants to encourage their faith, he, you know, because he knows the opposition, the tremendous difficulty that they're going to be facing over the next years. And, 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 and I said to, to the Lord when I read what he, what he did to them and how he related to them on that road, I said to the Lord, you know, Lord, if I was you, I would just say, look, guys, this is a, this is a real spiritual encounter. You're, you're encountering the resurrected Christ. Now just go and go out and make disciples. But that's not what Jesus did. 
What did Jesus do? It says from Moses, he expounded the scriptures to them, saying that these things must happen, saying that the Son of God would have to die and rise again, and that repentance, uh, now listen to this, according to the scriptures, Jesus according to the scriptures that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in the whole earth. Why did Jesus do that? Why didn't, why did, why did he, because he didn't want them to put their faith or their confidence in spiritual encounters. But he wanted to put their faith and confidence in the word of God alone. You see that? That's why Jesus took them through the scriptures. And Peter comes along and says, you know, we were with him on the sacred mount. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty when the Shekinah cloud came down and the voice spoke out of heaven. Peter said, I was there, boys. I was there, uh, uh, girls. But Peter says this. He said, but we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And why did Peter say that? Because Peter had been taught by Jesus, who placed a much higher priority and value on the Word of God than he did on any experience that you might have, any encounter, any Holy Spirit encounter. You see that? There were 700,000 men who came, not including women and children, so there was probably, oh, you know, maybe four or five million Jews in the Exodus account. They all saw the miracles of God in in Egypt. They all saw the Red Sea part and pile up a mile high on either side of them. So they walked on dry ground through that sea. They saw that, friends. They all saw the pillar of fire, the presence of God, the presence of the Spirit. They saw the pillar of fire by night and the smoke by day. They all, they all, saw, they all drank from the water, that, that, the rivers of water that flowed out when Moses spoke to that rock. Enough water to, 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 to quench the thirst and to get a supply, a storage supply of water for four million people, four or five million people to, to drink, to bathe in. Enough, think about how much water came out of that rock supernaturally. They all ate the manna that supernaturally fell on the ground every day. They all experienced the signs and wonders of God, the encounters with the Holy Ghost. They all, they all believed in signs and wonders. You see what I'm saying? But listen to me. Two men only, out of 700,000 men, took God's word seriously took God at his word, and they were the only two men out of all those men who didn't perish in the desert who were able to secure the promise of God. Because it was, listen, the destiny of five million Jews was dependent not on the signs and wonders, not on Holy Spirit encounters, but on what they did and how they viewed the word of God. Isn't that awesome? Oh, friends, the fear of God is in this place today. So the word of God is where the power of God rests, and believing that word is what secures every divine promise. It is the word of God alone that produces the faith 
that pleases God and secures every divine blessing. I'm going to take a couple minutes. I promised myself that I wasn't going to go over. I was over 10 minutes the last time I preached, and so I owe you 10 minutes. I'm giving you a credit today, hopefully. So I just want to talk a little bit for a few minutes before we close about the relationship between the Bible, the relationship between the Bible and your measure of faith. Okay? So the Bible unapologetically declares faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible teaches that everything in the Christian life comes to us by faith alone. From start to finish, from first to last, we move from faith to faith. The book of Romans in the King James Version says, the Christian life is by faith from first to last. The righteous shall live by faith. So it's, we don't just get saved by faith and then we move on to something else, you know. No, the righteous shall live by faith, okay? So we live by a faith that is produced and comes to us from one thing, the Word of God. You see, we are forgiven of every sin by faith alone. We are justified by faith alone. We are declared perpetually righteous by faith alone. We are declared holy and blameless in the sight of God by faith alone. We are delivered from Satan's power by faith alone. We, whenever we are healed, we are healed by faith alone. It is always the prayer of faith that makes the sick person well. We are sanctified from start to finish by faith alone. All authentic spirit-led ministry is by faith alone. Paul says the works of God are accompanied by faith alone. We receive the spirit by faith alone. And every time we are filled with the spirit thereafter, it's by faith alone. God gives us his gifts and works miracles among us, Paul says, because we believe because of the, by faith alone. We get right with God, and we stay right with God by faith alone, according to the Bible. So, so what does that have to do with the Bible? Oh, and by the way, you know, we're talking about how are we going to overcome the world, this flood, this river of paganism, neo-paganism that's flooding in upon us. How are we going to... Here's what the Bible says. This is the victory that overcomes the world, just our faith. See, anything that's everything, everything that's anything, comes to you from God by faith alone. So what's this got to do with the Bible? Well, according to Romans chapter 10, it says faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. See that? If everything comes to us by faith, and it does. If we live by faith, and it, we do, and faith comes by the word of God, friends, then man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see that? That's what we've got to live off of. This is what's going to sustain us and keep us. This is the, like the manna that Jesus feeds us with, you see? And so... So, so, so what are we doing neglecting the word of God? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing neglecting the word of God. We don't really believe that. Come on, you're tipping, we're tipping our hand when we say, oh, you know, don't, put too much, don't be too much of a Bible thumper. Huh? Oh, that's just dead doctrine. We need to get experience. You need to get the Holy Ghost. We're tipping our hand. We don't really believe that God has invested his power in this word. We don't really believe it. We don't really believe that our faith grows, is produced 
grows, matures, and comes to perfection from this word. See that? I like what D.L. Moody says. Listen to what he says. I I read a quote from him this week. D.L. Moody was one of my favorite preachers. And um, he was a famous evangelist. Some of, many of you have heard of him. But uh, <clears throat> here's what he says. Listen to what, listen to what he says. He's giving his testimony to a group of preachers, ironically, near the end of his life. And he says this. Now listen. I prayed earnestly for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not seem to come. One day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, now faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. Now I open my Bible and begin to study, and faith has been growing and increasing ever since. Isn't that good? So what is the takeaway for us here today? God only allows me to only have one takeaway in my preaching. Repent and believe the good news. Suffice it to say that it is God's will that we repent and return to the same faith in the power of the Bible that Jesus and the apostles and the church fathers and the reformers admitted to. We will read and study our Bible like never before when we recognize and believe that God has invested his almighty power in it. People often ask me, I can't remember if I said this already, but I'm going to say it again. Barry, you know, where does your faith come from? Why do you have so much faith for this or for that? I always tell them the same thing. I just read, I just read my, meditate on my Bible day and night, and I've been doing that for, 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 for 44 years. I just devour this book. See, that, that's where faith comes from, friends. Everything comes to us by faith but no book, no faith. You know, we, we live, I'm gonna, it's going to close with this. We live in a culture where it, it feels like, so you have to do your homework. It's like, you have to do your homework, friends. You have to study to show yourself approved. There's, there's no shortcuts to faith. Yes, we get faith through experiences, but the faith that's going to save you, sanctify you, heal you, deliver you, and deliver your family, and protect your, that faith comes by the word of God, and you cannot escape doing our homework. I worry for the church that we've been plucking flowers off, like bouquets off of the flower bush that our fathers built up until 30, and for 30 years now, we've been plucking flowers off of this flower bush, and the flower bush was that the word of God is the power of God. And they put their lives, invested their lives, men like Keith Schneider invested their lives in this book. And we've been enjoying the fruits, the bouquets off that for 30 years. But I think, you know what I see in in my mind's eye? I see the bush is about to die. Who is going to grow a new bush here? So that your children, so the word of God comes back to the central place in Christian word. Who's going to grow the bush here? That's what I want to leave you with in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.